do want to pass on just one other word of announcement. And, and I think this is very fitting for us to focus our attention on this as we come into a time to look into God's Word. Because in our culture today, um, in our world, in our, in our little country that we live in, um, it seems that marriage has almost become a forgotten thing. And um, I'm very excited that Centerpoint Bible Church has two couples that uh, have decided to uh, commit their life to one another in Christian marriage. And um, I want to highlight both of those. Uh, first of all, we got an invitation from Stephen Anglis and Kimberly, let's see, Dorfner. Yes, got it right. Um, Stephen and Kimberly are going to be married. Now, it's on the West Coast, so it's a little far for some of us to go, okay? But I wanted to announce it. I wanted to make sure we announce this to our church, because Stephen has been an important part of our church family. Um, Stephen, as you know, is, is teaching out there in a Christian school. This is the son of Pastor Tim Anglis and his wife, Christy, right back here. And uh, they're getting married, so let's read the invitation. David and Stephanie Dorfner, along with Tim and Christy Anglis, are pleased to announce the union of their children. Kimberly, Kimberly Nicole and Stephen James, we married on Sunday, June the 26th, 2.30 in the afternoon. The address is in Washington State, which is a long way to go. But I have asked uh, the family if they would leave. Um, one of these cards over there has just a little bit of a wedding information and an address. I think it would be very fitting for you to send them a card and just congratulate them on their coming marriage. And along those same lines, um, please to just remind you of Neil Duffy and Rachel McDonald's coming wedding just in two weeks. And I also want to encourage you that if you're planning on coming to that, we need you to RSVP. Listen, I'm a big part of that wedding, and I want to see all of you there because it's an opportunity to celebrate what God is doing. When two people today decide to get married, that's a big deal. And as believers in Christ, we need to celebrate that. Okay, so be with us that day. I'm RSVP. It's in two weeks. We'd love to have you there to celebrate um, with our family. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this. Pray for these marriages, Lord. And now we ask again that you would speak to us. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it may not surprise some of you to know that I grew up in a religious family. All right? We were at church every single Sunday. And um, at the same church and at the same place. And my family all together sitting right there in the third row back at that little church in Kaiser, West Virginia. Very religious. That probably doesn't surprise any of you. But what might surprise you is it meant nothing. It meant nothing to us. Uh, We were at church... We were there because we thought we were supposed to, but the truth is, we didn't worship. I didn't worship. My family, we weren't even believers in the early days. And so think about it. We would go to church on a regular basis, and we had no relationship with God. Worship was something that that we couldn't do because we didn't know Christ. We didn't have Him in our life. But we were there every single Sunday. Now, I suspect some of you probably have a similar testimony. Probably grew up in a religious family, and and I hope that somewhere along the line, you put your trust in Christ and began to follow Him with your life. But you know, recently, I got to go back to that little church. Have you ever gone back to a place that you were at when you were a small child? Say, a a school or a a church or some other building? See, we recently had a, a celebration for my father on his birthday, and we went back to that very little church in Kaiser. 
And here's the cool thing. When you go back to like your elementary school or to a church you grew up in, aren't you surprised how much smaller everything looks? It's so weird. You know, it's like the water fountain in your mind was like this huge, monstrous thing that you could never reach. And then you get there and you realize it was like that big, right? It's so weird how that happens. And, and it's often people will say, I mean, regularly they'll say, I thought it was much bigger than this. I thought it was much bigger. And of course, the answer is, no, you are, right? You're much bigger. Well, I just wanted to point out my family. And us going to church and religious, but it meant nothing. Because in reality, it's the same way our worship was. I had an idea about worship that was false. It was actually very small, like that water fountain. I had the idea that worship was something that I did when I came to church on Sunday morning. I would come here and worship. We would come and sing songs, or we would you know, celebrate communion, or we would pray, and we would open up God's Word, and we called that worship. And it certainly is part of worship. You are worshiping right now. But what I came to realize as I grew up, and as I became a man and matured, is that worship is not something you simply do here on Sunday mornings. It's not something you gather together someplace to do. Singing doesn't equal worship, in other words. Worship is the call of God on our life. You were made for worship. And worship doesn't simply mean singing. It doesn't simply mean praying. It doesn't simply mean coming to church. I gave you a definition of worship. It's on your, it's on your worship notes. Um, maybe we should rename those. But worship is honor given to a superior That's what it is. Worship is honor given to a superior. And so it can take, and it should take, and no, the truth is, it does take many forms. You and I are always worshiping something. We are always giving honor to something or someone that we think is superior. Be that an athlete or a movie star, be that a family member or a, or a home or a car or a goal that you have, we are always worshiping. We are always giving honor to something that we think is superior. And when I was immature and not even in Christ, I saw worship as this little small thing. I saw it as this little thing that I would do on occasion. And you know, it meant something to me. I, I kind of liked coming to church, maybe. I don't know. It meant something. But here's what I've come to realize. And this is what I want us to all understand. God doesn't want this little piece of worship in our life where we, we gather and sing a song. God demands to be all of our life. He doesn't want some. He doesn't deserve some. He deserves and demands and is worthy of all. All. Every breath that I breathe, every word that I share, everything that I do, every place that I go, every activity I engage in, every thought that I have, every goal that I have as a believer in Christ comes under His ownership. This is what you were made for. This is what you were designed for. You were not placed here by accident. You're not a, you're not a, you know, a miracle of science. 
You're not, a, you're not a process of natural things that have brought you here. God has made you and designed you for a purpose. And that purpose is to know Him and to live your life as an honor and as a treasure to Him as somebody who is greater and more superior than us. You see, worship is about giving. It's about giving. Giving the superior God of my life, of the universe, giving to Him. Giving to Him my song, yes. Giving to Him my words, yes. Giving to Him my family, some of you next week. Giving to Him my everything. This is what God calls us to. Open up your Bible with me, and I want you to see this today from God's Word. We're going to look at the... We're, we're in the middle of a series right now, in case you didn't know that. And we're going to look today at the first and second commandment. And we're going to drill down a little more on the second commandment. We're doing a series on the Ten Commandments. You can find that two places in your Bible. Okay? Deuteronomy chapter 5 and Exodus chapter 20. That's where we're going to be today. So go in your Bible to Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to focus in today on the first and second commandments with more of an emphasis upon the second. Let me read to you verses 1 through 7. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. No other gods before God. And the second one is verse number 4 and following. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of generations, it actually says, of those who love me and keep my commandments. In verse 7, I like to connect 7 with the first two. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. We're going to focus on the first two commandments today, and like I said, specifically the second one. And the thing I want us to see today is it's all about worship. It's all about worship. The first two commandments are, are exclusively about worship. And remember, worship isn't singing only. Worship isn't praying only. Worship isn't this religious activity that we do. Worship is giving honor. It is treasuring one who is greater than me. And the first two commandments are all about worship. As a matter of fact, when you read the first two, you can kind of get the idea that they're almost the same. But what I want us to see today is that they are not the same. They are not the same. The Lord is definitely communicating two different truths to us about our worship, about our life being living and lived and given to Him as our superior. Two different truths that I want us to see today. Okay? The first commandment, again it says, You shall have no other gods before me. This is all about who or what we treasure. Who or what we treasure. 
We are to treasure God above all others. He is to be number one, is not even strong enough to even say. He is to be the overriding force and attention of our life. First commandment is all about treasuring God. It is a, it is a, a prohibition against worshiping other gods. But the first commandment is about who you worship. Who or even what you worship. Now, think about, review of last week, what, what kind of things that can include. That, that's not just, you know, you at, at, or a person, say, on the other side of the world, bowing down to some image or, or false god. That's not just that, although it includes that. The Egyptians that, were, that had held Israel captive had just scores of, of gods that they worshipped. And definitely the Lord is speaking against that type of, of pagan worship of false gods. But I would challenge you that we also deal with some of these gods in our life. Ultimately, we have the God of self. We have, we have the God of prosperity. We have, the, we have the God of materialism. We have the God of family. We have the God of children. We have the, we have the gods of, of other people, say a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever. We have, we have the gods of hobbies, which is unbelievable. Sports and, and different things that we pursue, they become gods in our life. And we, we treat them as if they are the most sacred things in our life. And everything else, everything else falls secondary to them. It's not very common that I hear somebody say something like this. Well, I couldn't take part in this activity because it was getting in the way of my God. I'm telling you, I've hardly ever heard a believer say that. And it shocks me when I look at our American life, at the number of us who sacrifice so much of what God calls us for, for an activity or a hobby. Remember what we said last week? Good things elevated to God things is sin. Good things elevated to God things is the sin of idolatry. Watch out for that one. Now you read the second commandment though, and it can seem like it's almost saying the same thing. Look at verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth below. It, it almost seems like it's repetitive. It seems like the Lord is like repeating himself all over again. He said no other gods, and now he says no idols. But listen, it is important for us to realize he's, God is talking about something that is different altogether. And we need to see it today. Where the first commandment was about who or what you worship. Now hear me. The second commandment is about how you worship. How you worship. The first commandment was about who. The second commandment is about how. The first commandment is about worshiping the one true God. The second commandment is about worshiping the one God truly. There is a difference. There is a difference. So what we need to realize is you can know who the real God is. You can know who the real God is and you can worship Him falsely. And we are being warned about that here, even in the Ten Commandments written 1400 B.C. Now I want to stop here, and I want you to go to Exodus 32. I want you to see this lived out. 
okay? This happened just, just within hours almost of when Moses delivered these Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. This second commandment was broken. Go to Exodus chapter 32. And I think this, this is going to be, just help us to understand what we're supposed to gather from the second commandment. Go to chapter 32, verse 1, and read along with me. It says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. So remember what's happened here. Israel has been delivered from slavery under Egypt. Miraculously now. Ten plagues. I mean, just, you know, it's amazing what's happening. They're brought out of slavery, okay? They now come to the foot of this mountain. Moses is directed by God to come up on the mountain to hear God's instructions for his people. He's up there with Joshua for 40 days. 40 days. 40 days is a long time in the desert. Of course, it's nothing compared to 40 years, but 40 days in the desert waiting for Moses up on the mountain. And as the people wait, as they wait for God to speak to them again now, you know they've already heard from God. They've already seen the delivering hand of God. They've seen God do things that nobody in in all of time has seen. I mean, what they saw was amazing. And now they're waiting, and they've got to wait. And we as people don't like to wait, do we? We don't like to wait. So watch what they did. When the people saw Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron. And they said, Up! Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. Now, in reality, that's actually a golden calf. It's, it's actually a bull. It's a, it's a yearling bull. So he makes the image of a young bull, a calf bull. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, who should have corrected and never should have been part of this process, but when Aaron sees it, he builds an altar before it. And Aaron then made a proclamation. And listen to what he says. Tomorrow shall be a feast to, what's it say? The Lord, Yahweh, the name of God. They'd only known this name for a short number of years. They'd only known this name for a short amount of time. God had told Moses this name, Yahweh. Moses comes before God and says, what do I call you? You tell me you're going to deliver us. I don't even know your name. God says, my name is Yahweh. And that was a new name they'd never known before. And now here is Aaron. Before just hundreds of thousands of people. He stands before them and he says, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and they offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to 
play. And listen, they're not playing badminton. This is a word that means sexual play. I don't mean to mess with your mind, but they are doing the the most profane things that we can come up with is what this word means. They're violating not the first commandment right now. They're violating the second. Listen, folks. The first two commandments are about worship. The first one is warning us against other gods. The second one is warning us against worshiping God in the wrong way. There is something for us to understand here. See, graven images aren't really that big of a deal anymore, right? They're not really vogue. If we brought in a, uh, you know, a clay feature, a, a, a calf or something, and, and offered it you to, to worship it, to bow down before, you'd laugh me out of the room. Graven images aren't something we struggle with anymore. Oh, but we have our own images of God. And we worship Him. We worship a false image of God and it is in violation to what God has called us to. We must worship the true God and we must worship Him truly. God is a righteous, holy one. And He has expectations and requirements for how we come to Him. We need to understand them. Okay, go back to Exodus 20 and let's let's pick this apart now and see if we can't apply this to our own lives. So we're trying to say worship God truly, worship God truly. Verse number four, you shall make for yourselves a carved or graven image. Now, what is a graven image and what is the problem with it? That's what I want to start with today. What is a graven image and what's the big deal? Okay, why is this so wrong for these people? I believe that in Exodus 32, I think they think they're worshiping Yahweh. I think their intent is to worship the God of the universe. So what's so wrong with this calf, with this bull calf that they make? I mean, can't we just call this an aid in the process? Isn't this helping them in their worship? Absolutely not, God says. The thing that's wrong with the graven image is this. And this, is not, this term isn't original with me, but I love it. The, graven, the reason why graven image is so wrong is it's self-willed worship. This is, a, this is a demand against self-willed worship. In other words, worship that I will offer, that I can understand, that I prefer, that I will bring to God. That's what's wrong with this. Now, what's wrong with a graven image? Well, first of all, it's a, it's a physical picture of, of God, which is impossible. God says He is a spirit. Jesus said God is a spirit. We know that God has no form. God is a spirit. Now, God took on form when He became a man, Jesus Christ, and He is full of grace and truth. But God the Father has no form. He is a spirit. So automatically we've got a problem. So what this, what this bull calf is, it's a false construct, is what it is. That you've constructed an image that you're trying to say is God. Let's just think about this for a minute. Aaron fashions this, this gold into a bull. Now why, you might wonder why. Well, you've heard of the god Baal, right? 
It was, it, was a, it was a false god that tripped up the Israelites over and over and over. Okay? Baal was, a, was the god of fertility. He was the god of, of male strength. Okay? He would be like, you know, the, the Sylvester Stallone of the gods. You know, big muscles, all that kind of stuff. And his image, what, what they would use to worship him, guess what it was? A bull calf. That's what they used to worship Baal. Now, the Israelites actually became, this became an issue for them farther into their history. But think about this. So, if God is like a bull calf, he's strong and powerful, what do we do about the soft hand of God? What about the mercy of God? What about the graciousness of God? What about the kindness of God? See, we cannot construct, it is impossible for us It is possible for us to comprehend our incomprehensible God. There is no form that we can fashion, that we can put together, that adequately represents who God is. We cannot do it. So every time we try, we're going to fall short. If you try to fashion a form of God that you like, or that you prefer or that you even understand, that God will be false. Many people struggle because they cannot understand God. Now hear me. If you have not encountered this, you're going to. If you have not encountered this, you need to get out of your home and talk to people. There are people all the time who say, you know, they, they cannot understand God. How can God do this? And then they give us a litany of things that they can't understand about God. Do you know what God's answer is to that? He answered Job this way. Stand up and be a man. Who are you to question me? Is what God has to say. Folks, we have to be careful. Likely none of you are going to go home and make a calf and an offering to it. That's probably not going to happen in your life. But we attempt to place God into a box that limits Him. That we can manipulate and we can adjust. And quite honestly, we like. We like. There's a young man I know who in his life has rejected Christ. And let me tell you, it hurts my heart to speak with him. I talk with him, and I walk away, and I just about cry. Because I knew him when he was following Christ. I knew him then. And I'm talking to him one time, and he said this. He's like, Lo, you just have to understand. I don't believe in God anymore. Why don't you believe in God? And he gave me a list of reasons why he doesn't believe in God anymore. And there were, listen, he's had some rough things come his way. And I can understand, he's hurt a lot. But one day I said this to him. I said, my friend, it's not that you don't believe in God. It's not that you don't believe in him. You don't like him. You don't like him. You don't trust him. We need to see in this graven image prohibition that we don't get the freedom to construct God 
in a way that we want. That's what the Israelites did there when they're waiting on Moses. They got tired of waiting. They got tired of waiting. So they'll make their own. What I invite you to is this. Approach this God. Not some image of God that you've constructed. Approach this God for real. Come to Him for real. I don't have to defend God. I don't have to defend Him to you. God will defend Himself. Who are we to defend the Lord? He will defend Himself. Come to Him truthfully. And when you come, we're, we're shown what to do. Okay, So, first of all, we have no self-willed worship. Let me just, I want to just, I want to read from Isaiah 44 because I love this. I'll take a break here for just a second. Okay, I'm going to read to you Isaiah 44, verses 13 to 17. Listen to it. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it and planes it and marks it with a compass and shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man and places it in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. and It becomes fuel for the man. And he takes part of it and he warms himself and kindles a fire and bakes bread. It doesn't end there. Isaiah goes on. Also, he uses the same wood from the same tree and makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. The other half, I'm sorry, over that half he eats meat. With the other half, he makes a god. He says, aha, I am warm. I've seen the fire. And the rest of it, he makes into a god, his idol, and he falls down to it, and he worships it, and he prays, and he says, Oh, deliver me, for you are my god. Now we hear that about the idolatry of, of certain people in certain times, and we scoff at it. But are we any different? Are we any different when we construct the god that we want? Go back to Exodus 20. Let's see what, what the Lord warns us about this God. Okay, He says in verse number 5, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, these, these idols that you make. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. What we see here is what worship is. Worship is to treasure and serve. That's my two words that I want you to see here. To treasure and to serve. Verse 5 says... You shall not bow down to this thing, to this idol. Bow down. Now, what is bow down? We don't bow down much physically. Bow down literally means to, to be prostrated. It means to fall on the ground before. But what it represents in reality is to come before one that you treasure as more important than yourself and to give that one your allegiance. You shall not... Pledge allegiance to another. You shall not bow down before another, is what God is saying. You will not bow down and say, you are my God. Be it a false God or a God you have constructed. Neither will you serve it. Now what serve means, we talked about this last week, is to sacrifice yourself in some way to satisfy the needs of another. 
So this is, a, this is an explanation of what worship is. Worship means to pledge my allegiance to one as my superior and to sacrifice myself to meet its needs. Folks, when we define it that way, when we define it that way, we recognize the temptation in our lives. And here's what I want to say to you if you're a believer in Christ today. Now hear this. If you're a believer in Jesus today, I know that the world is chasing after two forms, two gods. One is a god of, of, of their choosing. And the second is a god that they have recreated. I know the world is pursuing this false god. But if you're in Christ today, you're different. You're different. Don't bow down to the false gods. Don't bow down to a god you have constructed. Let's bow before the true God and serve Him only as our God. Now, then we get into, in our passage, we now start into the character of this God. And this, again, is where a graven image and our false pictures of God can never do them justice. Any comprehensible form of God that you fashion will never meet what is said here about the Lord. Hear what it says. It says, You shall not bow down to them and serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, there are some things in here that I know bother some. And I want to deal with them. There's a few things in that passage that, that kind of raise some angst for some of us. And I, I want to help us to understand that. Now, I want to tell you, I'm not putting mittens on God. I'm, I'm not going to soften God's hands on this. We need to understand and hear the warning of God. So I want us to see it, but I'm not going to clip his fingernails so you don't hurt. If I did that, what would I be doing? I would be violating the second commandment. I must honestly express what is true here of God. First of all, jealousy. Now, we don't like that word. And there's a good reason for you not to like that word. 1 Corinthians 13, I know Pastor Brock has taught her that in his focus class, and we're very clear there that love is not jealous. Love does not envy. But we need to be careful with that. Because later on, in chapter 12, we're told in the same book, okay, actually right before that, we're told to be jealous of some spiritual gifts. So obviously this word jealous must have a deeper meaning than what we think. Now, literally what this word means, there where it says that God is a jealous God, literally what it means, check this out, it means red-faced with passion, is what it means. God is a jealous God, it literally means red-faced with passion. I love that term. What this means, it means that God feels very, very strongly. God is a passionate God. And when the, when, when the translators said jealous, quite honestly, they'd been better off to say, use the word zealous. 
Because that's the Greek word that's used here, zealos. It means that he is passionate about things. I love passion in people. I love passion in people. When I was a young father, okay, I was a very passionate man. I still am in some ways. It kind of goes away as you get a little older sometimes. But I was, I was a, when I was a young father, I was a passionate dad. And I can remember correcting my children and being like, right? Some of you dads have been there. I remember my wife saying, Honey, sweetie, your face is very, very demonstrative. Why don't you calm it down a little bit? I remember talking to one of my children, and they told me, they're like, it was a good conversation, and they said, but Dad, you know, you just got so angry. And I was angry that day. And I remember I said to him, well, tell me this. If you're alone in an alley and a bad guy steps into the alley, who do you want there? You can choose anybody in all the world. Who do you want there? And they said, I want you there. I said, that's right. Because I'm zealous. I'm zealous to protect you. Now, that was a moment. It was a moment that we see what God is like. God has red-faced passion for you. God has red-faced passion for you to follow Him. God has red-faced passion for your children. God has red-faced passion for you to follow after Him. God has red-faced passion for you to have eternal relationship with Him. He is a zealous God, He wants you, all of you. He doesn't need you, but He wants you. He has red-faced passion for relationship with Him. Now, the balance to this zeal is what's called their steadfast love. Steadfast love. I want to give you the blank in case I missed it. There it is. Zealous, steadfast love. Steadfast love, it says here, He is a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, the third and fourth generation, I'll deal with that in just a minute, of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of generations who chase after Him. This word steadfast love, I call this a father-type love. This is a committed love. This is a covenant-keeping love. This is, I will keep my word to you. So look at who we have here. We have the God of the universe who is red-faced passionate about you and also has the balance of committed, covenant love towards you. Steadfast love is the very love that sent Jesus to the cross. That's the kind of love that God has for us as His children. You say, how much would God show His love for me? What would God do for me? I'll tell you what He would do. He'd become a man and die in your place. And the whole time, as He hangs on the cross, this is what He says, My steadfast love is new every morning. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 23. The steadfast love of the Lord is new every morning. This is God's covenant-keeping love for us. If only we'll receive Him. 
If only we receive what he has done. I tell you, I like the fact that God is red-faced passionate about us. But I'm thankful that he also has a steadfast love. Now, one thing that bothers us here, it bothers us that it says that he visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. But for those who love him, thousands of generations, they receive because of that. And that bothers us. It bothered people in Jesus' day. Remember when that guy was blind, okay? It was this man who was born blind. And they brought him to Jesus. And they said, hey Jesus, help us out with this one. This man was born blind. So who sinned? Him in his mother's womb? Or his parents before him? Huh? Tell us that one, Jesus. See, the Pharisees were showing this this idea that, that we read this and we think, is that what it's saying? You see, we, we go to an image of God that is false. We begin to craft a graven image in our mind of God that is false. And we need to understand what this says. Now notice, stay with me, you need to hear this. Notice it says that he visits the iniquity on some. See it in your passage? So important you have your Bible. He visits the iniquity on some. But on the other... It says he shows his steadfast love to the other. Now listen, when God uses a word, he does it on purpose. Every word is inspired. He says, I visit on those who hate me, I visit it onto the third and fourth generation, but I show my steadfast love to thousand generations of those who love me. I'm going to tell you about this word visit. This will comfort you. Maybe. The word visit, you know what it means? It means this. It means you call me. Lowell, hey, yeah, this is Lowell, how you doing? Hey, if it's okay with you, I got a few minutes, I'd like to stop in and visit. Uh, sure, go ahead. What are you going to do when you stop in and visit? You're going to come to my house, you're going to walk through the door, and you're going to do what? You're going to look at me. That's what that word means. For those that hate him, he visits on them iniquity to the third and fourth generation. You know what this means? God observes this truth. Anti-God thinking, it continues for generations. And we've all seen this. And God has observed it as well. Some of you... Some of you come from generations of people before you who have been against God. You know, your parents before you and your parents before them, they've been against God. And now in your life, you're you're like reaping that. You see it. I know people whose parents are alcoholics, their grandparents were alcoholics, and their great-grandparents were alcoholics. And they just see this handed down over generations. Sexual abuse handed down over generations. And God, in His steadfast love, is saying, I see this. I I see it. I can see it happening to three and four generations. When people hate me, it just continues to go on down the line. But God says, stop it. Stop it. Turn to me. I'm passionate for you. I've steadfast love for you. Break the chain, God says. Break the chain, and for thousands of generations, 
You will see my blessing in people's lives. Folks, we need to be people who turn the bus around of our family. Listen, I'm proud to tell you now, my dad is a believer in Jesus Christ. But when I got saved, he wasn't. He wasn't. He had nothing to do with God. So when I came to Christ, it was me saying to my family, no, this is not what I want. I don't want your religion. And it broke, it broke a long chain in my own life. I don't want to tell you. It's too embarrassing to tell you. The family heritage that I have But for thousands of generations, by golly, it's going to break. You do the same. You do the same. Ain't nothing you can do to cause it. You cannot fashion it. You can't make it. You've got to receive it. You've got to receive it. And then treasure Him treasure Him and serve Him. No false construct. No, no, no clipped Jesus. Let Him be who He is. Sorry, I got a little passion on you. So do we have this today? I'm out of time, but I would say we do. We do. Do we commit this sin today? Most definitely. We construct our images of God. I've alluded to this a couple times. Remember I told you for every commandment, there's a warning and there's a wonder. There's a warning and there's a wonder. The warning is avoid the limited images of God. Be careful with that. Be careful with that as as we live in 2016 in Martinsburg, okay? Don't look down upon those who bow down to idols. Recognize in our own life that we attempt to limit God. We limit Him in His glory. We limit Him in His attributes. We, We limit Him in His relationship with us. We make Him a God that's okay with us to have other gods. We make Him a God that's okay with us to pursue other treasures. We make Him a God that, that it's okay if, if we you know, run after other things and add God on the sides a little bit. That's not God, folks. That's not God. If that's the God you're chasing, His name isn't Yahweh. His name is not Yahweh. It's a construct. He demands all. But the wonder is we can approach Him. We can approach Him truly. Listen to Romans 12. I think I have it on the screen. Paul writes this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is, which is, your spiritual act of worship. First two commandments are all about worship. Don't worship other gods and worship God truly. Probably in this room, probably we aren't dealing with worshiping other named gods, more than likely. 
probably you're not chasing after Vishnu or you know all these other that's probably not happening. But in our life today, we are very susceptible and often very guilty of violating the second. Making an image of God, an icon of God that's limited, that's not really Him, that's damaging to our worship and damaging to those who follow behind us. Follow God truly today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank You for Your love and for Your grace. And God, I want to just stop now. Just give us an opportunity to be quiet before You. God, remind us of false gods in our life. Remind us of fashioned forms that we have created that we like a little better. These things are fleshly, Lord. It's not of you. Give us the grace to come before you truly, Lord. To not feel the need to fully understand you. But to prostrate ourselves before you. As the victor. As the conqueror. As the head of your church. The followers of Jesus, Lord. We thank you for who you are. Our rock. Our fortress. Our foundation our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.